Dolofari is a security engineer and author with extensive experience leading security engineering teams in complex environments and scale in the fintech and cybersecurity industries. Currently, he's a principal security engineer at Wealthsimple. He's one of the founders of DEFCON Toronto, DC416, and he enjoys researching vulnerabilities in IoT devices, participating in building CTF challenges, and contributing exploits to ExploitDB. Nick Alex is a leader in Toronto's cybersecurity community and a distinguished and patented security engineer, speaker, and researcher. He's currently the Senior Director of Security at Wellsimple. He leads his own security firm, ASEC.io, and is a Senior Advisory Board Member for Hack Student, George Brown, and the University of Guelph's Master of Cybersecurity and Threat Intelligence Programs. Nick's also a founder of DEFCON Toronto. He specializes in offensive security and pen testing and has over 10 years of experience hacking everything from websites, safes, locks, cars, drones, and even smart buildings. Dolev and Nick join us to unpack the world of GraphQL security. We introduce GraphQL, threats to it, and mitigations for how you can secure your GraphQL instances. We hope you enjoy this conversation with... Dolev and Nick. You are now listening to the Application Security Podcast brought to you by Security Journey. When you finish this episode, check out our other show, High Five, to stay up to date with all the hot AppSec news. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo. I'm the Chief Security Officer and Chief Strategy Officer at Security Journey. And I am also joined by my good friend, Robert Hurlbutt. Hey, Robert. Hey, Chris. Yeah, it's Robert here, and I'm a principal application architect, security architect, and uh, I'm also a threat modeling lead at Acquia. And both Robert and I are coming to you from glorious, glamorous hotel rooms from around this good United States. I'm in Austin, Texas, getting ready for LastCon, which starts in about two days. And yeah, so that's uh, kind of getting to see the world a little bit, see a little bit of the, uh, the security world now that the conference scene is back in full swing. So I'm excited to uh, hear some really excellent talks there at LastCon. I know, Robert, you'll be doing a talk here as well, an excellent talk on DevSecOps and threat modeling. Um, I'm talking about security champions. So two different things that uh, both of us really uh, have a passionate passion for. So we're joined today by Nick and Dolev and... We're going to talk about GraphQL, which is something that I've actually been really looking forward to having this conversation because I really want to learn about this. <laughs> I feel like I don't know very much about GraphQL. Like I could maybe answer the question on Jeopardy, what is GraphQL? Maybe, but maybe not as well. But before we do that, let's go ahead and hear some security origin stories. So Nick, let's kick it off with you. Um, tell us how you got into this crazy, wacky world of security. Yeah. Um, hey everyone. Um, so my name is Nick, and uh, my security origin story goes goes way back to to high school when uh, you know I was playing around with a lot of tools like Backtrack and uh, trying to break into um, my Wi-Fi and my friends' Wi-Fis and just be able to say like, "Yeah, like I got in." And uh, ever since then, you know, I then diverted over into mechanical engineering, where I went to school for uh, specializing in drafting and design. And uh, a friend came over one day um, in the middle of my, my studies and he brought over some lock picks and was just showing me how he was like breaking into certain uh, uh, locks and deadbolts. And that just like immediately sparked my curiosity and, and allowed me to go from like, okay, I'm going into mechanical engineering. I now see the you know 
actual physical pen testing is a, is a thing. Um, and so from there, I really dove deep into pen testing. I, I especially, you know, started to get things like the snap gun under the door tools and got heavily involved in that. And then I realized that um, <clears throat> uh, working and, and partnering with, with other uh, pen testers and security professionals, uh, I was able to really grow my chops in the uh, web application hacking space because uh, being a, a developer is, is, uh, is something that was also a big passion of mine. And uh, yeah, from there, then I, I, I ran into Dolev and we, we kicked off a little thing in Toronto called DEFCON Toronto. And uh, I guess the rest is history there. Yeah, it's cool to hear how lockpicks played played a role in your origin story because you know we we we've got all these groups now that do lockpick village style stuff and lockpick um, experiences at different conferences and it's it's definitely an interesting way to unlock people's minds to you know how to how to take things apart and and ultimately put them back together. Um, you know, by using those types of tools. So really, that's really cool to hear. So Dolev, how about you? How did you, uh, how did you get into security? Um, so my journey with computers is goes way back. Um, but my first, I guess, security related thing that I ever did was involved sub seven. <laughs> I was experimenting with sub seven, uh, which was kind of weird because it kind of, if I remember correctly, it also involved like ICQ numbers. Um, and it was uh, like, I think the first time I ever tried uh, hacking hands-on. Um, and later on, when I started developing a career, uh, I started in DevOps. Um, and I was part of a DevOps team at a company called F5. And I was kind of in charge of handling security for uh, appliances. Um, and then I decided that I want to focus only on security and ended up actually relocating to Canada uh, where I met Nick. Um, and ever since then, I, I was like 100% full-time only doing security. Um, and I wasn't necessarily like, focused on one area. I always wanted to learn uh, everything that I found interesting at the time um, and uh, never wanted to actually like, focus on a niche. So. The whole GraphQL journey is actually the first time I ever focus on a very specific uh, piece of technology. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been hacking on different things, smart buildings with Nick as well, uh, GraphQL stuff, uh, a lot of authorization related projects, uh, site projects like uh, web application pen testing. Um, and yeah, and right now uh, at Wallsimple, we're doing a lot of uh, GraphQL heavy things, which led to uh, everything that we're here for, uh, which is hearing about GraphQL stories. Very cool. And uh, let me just let me just make sure I, I, I tell our audience here <laughs> how we got to this conversation was you guys have written a book, Black Hat, GraphQL, API Attacks for Hackers and Pen Testers. And uh, so that's that, that was kind of what caught my attention. Nick had posted something on LinkedIn about it, and I was like, hey, I want to learn about GraphQL. And so the the, the book is, is coming. It's, it's coming soon, right? The book's not out yet, but it's coming soon. When, when is that going to be available? Um, yeah, so the, the book is available right now for early access and pre-order um, at the uh, uh, No Starch uh, Press website, or you can just go to blackhatgraphql.com. Uh, the physical copy will be available, I believe, in like Q2 of, of next year. Um, uh, so that's how you can you can grab a copy. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll put the uh, links in the show notes so people can get to that directly, so they can order a copy of uh, of the book. So, Robert, why don't you kick us off with our into our GraphQL journey here? Sure. You know, I I've seen uh, GraphQL when I was um, using some security tools. I never heard of it before. So, for our uh, listeners and, and watchers today, uh, Nick, could you tell us what is GraphQL and what are some use cases? Yeah, for sure. Um, so GraphQL is a uh, relatively newer uh, API technology uh, that's used by a lot of really big big companies these days, uh, such as Netflix, GitHub, WaltSimple. Um, and the, uh, the whole premise of, of GraphQL is to allow customers and API clients to essentially grab the data that they want and that they need from the server. Now, this is a little bit different from your traditional REST API endpoints that we're all pretty familiar with, um, but there's issues with REST APIs. Um, and the, the issues that get you know brought up all the time are these concepts of underfetching and overfetching. And so you can imagine hitting a user's endpoint and getting a whole bunch of data about, about users. Now, this is definitely not a problem for hackers, but when it comes to developers looking to limit the attack surface and, and the data that they're grabbing from the server, it's pretty important to only grab, let's say, the emails that you want or the date of births. Um, and GraphQL allows you to unlock it. Um, the way that uh, you know I kind of uh, have heard about GraphQL is that it's uh, very much like you know trying to go to a, a, a vending machine, and you know when you want to grab a particular order, you can actually just like put in your your, your coin and you know punch in the, the thing you want, and you get you know. The, uh, the, the data that, that you exactly need. And so uh, the other problem is the uh, underfetching problem. And a lot of REST APIs will, um, let's say you want to grab some, some login history uh, for all of your users. Uh, if you went and you tried to first go into your histories table, uh, you'll see that, oh, you need to first pass in a bunch of user IDs. Where are you going to get user IDs? Oh, so you have to first go and query the user's endpoint, get a bunch of IDs, and then pass it over to like a login history endpoint. And then you can see how multiple calls are going to make things inefficient. GraphQL solves that by allowing you to essentially stitch together all of these uh, data sources into a single thing called a schema that's held on the server side and actually sometimes presented to clients, allowing them to pick and choose the data that they want and how it's related to uh, to other pieces of, of data in order to respond back to to, to clients. Um, so that that in a nutshell is what, what GraphQL is. There's a lot of nuances to it, uh, but uh, that's the use case and the main problem that does solve for, for most folks. So Dolev, I'm going to send the next question your way here, but this is kind of a helping me understand GraphQL a little bit. So, you know, when I think about query languages, I think the one that the one that I understand the best as well as probably most of our listeners is SQL from a, you know, structured query language. So can, is there any compare, can you compare SQL and GraphQL? Is there any connections or any similarities between, between these two things or are they completely different? Um, like, yeah, there's a little bit of similarity, but they're really different. Um, I think uh, like GraphQL is, uh, the the things that you can query are based on the, on something called a schema. So if you're a client and you want to like read certain things, 
what gives you the ability to read or write certain things is basically something called schema. And that's your representation of, of the data. That's how you expose certain queries. Uh, and in GraphQL, you have um, basically three main like operations. There is a query, which is actually just called query, which is what you would use to read data. You have a thing called mutation, which is how you would write data. You can also write and read at the same time, which is how like one of the things that are nice about GraphQL. Um, and there's also a, a third thing called subscription, which is more like a real-time uh, you know, server push type of, of, uh, of updates uh, over WebSockets typically. So these three operations give you the ability to do certain things against a GraphQL uh, server. Okay. Um, so, so you would typically like define something called like a document with a bunch of fields, and those fields could have like subfields. So, if, if you kind of compare that to SQL, um, I wouldn't say that the like the the syntax is, is similar or the language is similar, um, but it's not like extremely different. Um, and uh, it takes like those queries that you're using can also take. Uh, variables and like arguments and things of that nature, similar to how any other uh, API would work, just a structured a little bit a little bit different. Um, yeah, so I, I so to answer your question, I would say it's not similar, but also it, it, it's it's not that far. Okay, so got it. So that help, that's helpful to understand kind of this foundation now. I feel like I've got a, a solid foundation of GraphQL and what it is and how it works. So now let, let's get into some of the fun stuff as far as the threats that exist against GraphQL. And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's quite a long list along the way, but Dolev, why don't you kick us off and, and um, talk to us about threats? Cool, yeah, so there's a lot of different things in GraphQL. Uh, Despite the fact that it's an API technology that allows you to typically do the same things that you're used to with other technologies like REST, there's a lot of fundamental differences in, in, in GraphQL. Um, there are threats, and I'll try to tackle that from two different directions. I'll start with the blue team. Some of the challenges that blue teams will face are uh, things related to observability and the reliance on certain things that exist in like HTTP requests that they are used to in order to see if something is going on uh, from like a anom uh, anomaly detection standpoint. So when you query a GraphQL endpoint, you're only querying a single endpoint as opposed to REST where you have resources and, 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 and routes. So you would typically have like a single endpoint and that, so basically the client intention is not based on the path, it's based on the payload itself. Where in REST you might see Say, if you have a post request to V1 users, maybe somebody's trying to create a user, right? The combination of like the method and the, and the path. That, that's not the case in, in GraphQL. In GraphQL, the case is you have a single endpoint, could be like a slash GraphQL, could be a slash query, could be anything. But the intention is based on the payload, which is the actual, actual query. And the method in, in GraphQL is always, typically always post. So, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, blue team, uh, tooling, what they would see if they were looking at access logs is like a bunch of post requests to a single endpoint, uh, all returning this at uh, the same status code, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it from like anomaly detection standpoint. Uh, status code in status codes in GraphQL don't have a meaning typically. So you would always get a 200 and the errors to your query. So you make a bad query or your query resulted in no results 
the, the error will be in the payload itself as opposed to the status code. So these fundamental, fundamental differences are something you need to think about when you adopt GraphQL. Um, GraphQL uh, has two major problems, uh, and they fall under two categories. One is authorization issues, and the other one is denial of service. GraphQL is unauthenticated by default. So meaning that when you build a, an API, you have to do all the, take all these extra steps uh, to figure out how to do authorization. And denial of service comes from the fact that the client is the one who's deciding how the response is gonna look like. So when you do a get request to like V1 users in a REST API, you're gonna get a, 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 some, some kind of a payload. It could be a JSON with a bunch of uh, keys like ID, email, first name, last name, so on and so forth. But GraphQL, you are the one who is decide. the client is the one deciding what type of information the server is going to return. So it could be just the ID, could be an ID and an email. Uh, and since the client is in control of the response format, the client can request a lot of different things. And, and uh, one of the things that is special about GraphQL uh, is that you can essentially stitch multiple schemas. So imagine you have a microservice environment and you have a bunch of services, all are behind GraphQL, each with their own schema. Um, maybe one is uh, around accounts, maybe one is around, I don't know, transactions, different, different services, but you can expose those under a single schema. So you basically take all these small little schemas, make them one big schema, and expose that as a single API. So clients can actually create really, really complex queries uh, that could result in like many, many, many joins and things like that, that would be very hard to process if you requested a lot of different information. Because that query could result in like many backend calls to many, many different services. Uh, so denial of service is one of the main pain points of GraphQL, just because the client is in control of what the response format is going to, going to be, which is quite unique as well. Uh, so I would say from everything that we've seen so far and you know the research that we've done, uh, as well as looking at other public reports of other people, the, the two main categories are authorization issues, either like bypasses or lack of authorization in general and denial of service. Mm, okay. So Nick, I want to, I want to kind of get your take on, uh, this is as I'm hearing Dolov talk about GraphQL and, and, and some of the threats between authorization and denial of service. It just makes me think about like in, in the OWASP world, we've got the OWASP top 10, we've got the OWASP API top 10. Are there any, are there any of those same things that exist in those OWASP top application security risks that are applicable to um, to uh, GraphQL outside of authorization and denial of service? Or are, are they, you know, are things like SQL injection, cross-site scripting, um, you know, those types of challenges, are those things that can weave their way into GraphQL? Oh yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Um, GraphQL by by no means is it immune to traditional attack vectors that uh, you know, like REST APIs are are, are vulnerable to. Um, you could potentially use GraphQL arguments and variables to inject payloads that uh, a server would would not be able to necessarily uh, know how to read or respond to correctly or expose vulnerabilities in, in the business logic layer. Um, so injection is, is, a, is a huge concern and a huge uh, uh, issue when it comes to uh, 
to GraphQL. Uh, we, we wrote a tool called uh, CrackQL that allows you to actually uh, do some automated uh, fuzzing and injection-based uh, attacks. Uh, it's used to actually brute force a lot of in-band authentication uh, 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 workflows. And so you can just pass it a whole bunch of arguments. And uh, if you wanted to, you can pass in a couple of cross-site scripting injections, SQL injection vulnerabilities, and see exactly which of outputs the GraphQL server is giving you. Um, so that's 100% uh, uh, an issue with GraphQL. It is not solving our traditional uh, attack vectors as the OWASP top 10 uh, has shown us. Um, uh, if, if anything, you know, you know, as, as Joel is speaking, the one thing you know we want to really say is that it it gives the clients a lot of power and a lot of control, and um, that's something that a lot of uh, GraphQL API maintainers, implementation um, uh, contributors, all need to really uh, understand is that that freedom comes with it some some pros and some cons. Um, so there's a lot of uh, unique risks as well that that Joel have mentioned, um, but a lot of the traditional ones are still so very much vulnerable in a lot of GraphQL implementations. Yeah, I mean, as a as a security person for a number of years, to hear the description that like we're putting all the control on the user side, just kind of makes me go, "Whoa, wait a second, hold on, can't we bring it all back to the server side and just lock it down and where we where we can control it?" But I get. You know, the use cases for this technology are driving the need to be able to control things in the client side, user side. But it's, as you're saying, it's also opening up some unique risks. So, Nick, another question for you from how, do, how are people attacking GraphQL instances? Do you attack GraphQL through another application and kind of proxy into the GraphQL? Or do you go directly to the GraphQL source? and attack it like you would any other uh, any other external API? Yeah, um, this is a, a good question because GraphQL can really be implemented anywhere within a, a company's infrastructure. Um, a lot of the times they will implement uh, a GraphQL uh, uh, API server um, at their gateway, so uh, you know, facing the public, allowing uh, the customers to directly interact with their schema and get information uh, about it. But GraphQL can also be implemented within the um, the, the internal infrastructure of a, of, a, of a company and of a network, allowing for microservices to talk to each other, grab data that they need, um, uh, sort of having like a different type of uh, domain gateways, uh, if you will. Um, so if you are attacking GraphQL, um, you'll, you'll most likely want to look for uh, a couple of endpoints, uh, such as uh, like a slash GraphQL or API slash GraphQL. Um, now it's unlike REST APIs where you've got like a lot of different endpoints. Uh, when it comes to GraphQL APIs, you'll only have to deal with one uh, uh, API endpoint usually. But once you get access to that API endpoint, and you know, let's say there's no authentication or authorization behind it, uh, you can immediately start to send uh, a couple of queries uh, to the actual API server. Uh, now, Bill and I also. Uh, uh, wrote and, and published the damn vulnerable GraphQL API um, uh, application, which you can use to test and, and, and hone in on some of your GraphQL attacks. Um, so that's one really great resource on uh, uh, for folks who want to take a look at how to attack GraphQL. But for the most time, for the most part, if you look on HackerOne or if you look at a couple of other 
uh, bug bounty uh, programs, you can see that there's a few companies that are starting to make their GraphQL API uh, endpoints public and also in scope for a lot of their testing. Hmm. Okay, so Dola, if you had a, um, from what I understand, found a zero day in the GraphQL spec that impacted all the implementations. So tell us, tell us that story. Yeah, um, when we were working on the book, we were reading the GraphQL spec, which is like essentially like a RFC type of document. It tells people that want to develop GraphQL servers how to do that, what type of validations need to be there, what type of things the server needs to return. Um, and most GraphQL, like the mature ones, uh, follow that. Um, but there is also some some things that are lacking in the document in terms of security. Like it doesn't say anything around security at all in any parts of the on, uh, of that specification. If you just like do a control F and look for security, you will not find anything. So there's a lot of things there that you kind of ask yourself, okay, what, what do I do? Like, what can I do if given a certain scenario? So there is a, a concept called directives in, in GraphQL. Um, and, and directives can be applied to like schema, so on the server side, but they can also be uh, provided by the client. Uh, and directives allow you to do certain things depending on where they are. So just to give the concept, the general concept of directives, like you could have directives that control author authorization. So imagine that you have like a schema and you define like the user with the email, like, uh, so like I mentioned before, a schema is a way for you to expose the type of things the client can query. So you can control within the schema who can access what. So you would use directives for that. It's like the at symbol, you can, and you can say at auth, and then you can say which groups can access that particular field that you want to control, you want to protect as an example. So th that would be a schema directive. There's the concept of client directives, which is, again, at the at symbol and, and some, some arbitrary string, depending on how you, you named your directives, and that allows clients to do certain things. So as an example, imagine that you have an IP address field that you query. And that IP address field gives you like, I don't know, just any arbitrary like private IP. And you can pass a directive, say CIDR to that field. And it would return the CIDR format of that particular IP. So you can transform the field that you're querying by using directives. That would be like a classic example of why you would use directives. So you can change like formatting, you can, uh, I don't know, like, there's a lot of different examples of how to use them, but the concept of directives allow you to control certain things and change format of different things. So directives have a, uh, a mention in the, in the GraphQL spec, uh, what they are, how to implement them, but there's no like mention of, how many should you accept from a client or any or any you know mentions on how to secure that whole thing so uh, when you write a graphql query uh, you can pass many of them there's no like limit on the amount of directives that you can send on the same type of field uh, so we realized that when you pass many 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 of those like thousands of those like at symbol Let's, let's take network as an example. At network, at network, at network, at network. And you admit you pass like a thousand of these, that's going to consume a lot of resources from the GraphQL server. Um, and there's no mention of security around it, uh, how to protect against it. You would be like, it's going to be a challenge to figure out how to actually protect against that. You can approach it from different angles. You can, for example, 
with a web application firewall drop request that had like a really large payload body, as an example, you could, uh, during the parsing, you can just drop it if you see like many of, there's different ways of doing it, but you will have to implement that, all of that yourself. Um, so it's really tricky to actually protect against that as well. So we realized that passing many, many directives really consumes a lot of resources. And we saw that uh, a lot of uh, open source tools, like for example, Magento, that use GraphQL vulnerable to that, to that thing. Um, and there was a, when we started the disclosure process, there was a lot of like different takes on, is this an issue? Is this not an issue? Who, who's in charge of protecting against that? Is it the job of GraphQL? Is it the job of another security control? So during the, the disclosure process, we realized that there's a lot of different opinions on, is GraphQL the place to enforce security or is it the job of another tool? Um, which was interesting because people, some people, within the GraphQL community don't think that it's GraphQL's job to protect the API. They think that it's possibly another tool's responsibility. Uh, same thing goes for authorization. Some opinions, uh, some people say that authorization should not be the responsibility of GraphQL, should be a responsible a responsibility of another system. Um, so there's, I think since GraphQL is like relatively new, there aren't like strong opinions around like security, where security should live how you should do security for GraphQL, and it will take time for that to evolve. Um, so that issue uh, may have been fixed for, uh, for in some of the companies that we disclosed that issue to, but it's still pretty much out there because it's just part of how GraphQL works. So Dolo, with that in mind, you talked about authorization, you talked about denial of service being uh, some threats, and of course a zero day. What are your thoughts then or recommendations for mitigations? for those threats in GraphQL? Yeah, so you have to first assume that when you deploy GraphQL, it's unprotected by default. It, it's flexible, it's gonna give you all the ability to query the way that you want. That's the, that's the status quo, that's the default thing that you're gonna get. And in order to combat like malicious queries or malicious clients making really complex queries, there's certain approaches that, have, that were developed on how to like rate limit GraphQL APIs. Um, one approach is to like statically analyze the amount of field that, that a client is requesting, put some number or weight on those fields and have a maximum threshold and drop their request if it exceeds that. So if you request like, for example, a user and then their ID and email, maybe the, the whole thing would be a three and that would pass because you have a threshold of 10 as an example. So you would statically analyze uh, the query and make a decision whether this is too complex to process. This is more on the denial of service side of things uh, and less on, you know, vulnerabilities like injections and things like that. Uh, there's another approach where you could uh, do that dynamically. So when you request a field in GraphQL, say user's email, you're not necessarily going to get one email. You might get the email of all the users, right? So the fact that you requested a single field doesn't mean that you're going to get a single like field in the response. It could be an array of different things. So the if you think about it, like the compute power that the server will use is not necessarily going to be defined by the fact that only a single field was requested. There is a possibility that that thousands of resources are going to be returned by that single field. So another approach is to analyze the response. 
the challenge with that is that you have to first process the query and then see what the response was, was on the server side and then make a determination whether that was expensive or not and then assign a cost to that. Um, so that would be another way of, of tackling this. Um, when it comes to injection and the type of vulnerabilities that we're used to uh, that are not necessarily like authorization or denial of service, it's not going to be that different in, 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 in REST APIs uh, compared to REST APIs because GraphQL can take uh, parameters and values and of different uh, types. Uh, the nice thing that GraphQL will do for you is it will do, it's, it's strongly typed. So if somebody, for example, is passing, you know, an integer instead of a string, it's going to fail early, right? But if you have like an, an argument that is of like a string type, then you can obviously pass like, you know, a si uh, single quote or a dash dash and things like that. It's not going to fail. But if you, uh, provide the wrong type, it will fail early. So you have that in GraphQL. Um, so web application firewalls is also another interesting area that started developing in the GraphQL space. Companies have started like tackling that area, uh, making their web application firewalls more GraphQL aware, as an example. Um, and, and web application firewalls still apply in GraphQL space. Uh, especially when it comes to things like cross-site scripting and injection and things like that. At the end of the day, the web application firewall will see, you know, I don't know, uh, one equals one dash dash or something. It's going to it's going to block it whether it's GraphQL or REST API because it's just a string that exists in the document. So that's still relevant in in the GraphQL world. Um, lastly, what I want to say is authorization is a big issue because you can get to the same type of data in GraphQL in multiple ways. It's a graph. So for example, you could get an email from a user, but you can also get an email from other other ways uh, as well. For example, if you have like, I don't know, I'll try to think of a good example here, but um, imagine you you can, you have a, you, you wanna get the emails of all the users on the, on the website, but you can, you also have a way to get your own email. So you might have like a user's email, but you also have a me email. So you can get your own email. So you get to that same data in from two different directions. So you can apply authorization on both of them or at the root, depending on how you implement authorization. And if you implement authorization based on the path that, and you have multiple paths to that same data, then you end up with a lot of uh, opportunity for like authorization bypasses. That's one of the issues with GraphQL. So it's almost like a, you know, when I think about microservices for example like one of the challenges that i've seen with microservices is you'll often get different security controls implemented in different places and so while it's not a direct correlation it sounds like graphql has a similar macro level problem of you can come to you can come to data from different directions and you may be able to you may have a security control that you've thought through the way you think people are going to access the data, but we know attackers don't ever, they don't ever follow the rules, right? They always try to find ways to circumvent. And so you may not have that same control on a alternative way to access the data, which could then get you in trouble from, from a GraphQL perspective. Yeah. yeah. So uh, input validation and output encoding, all those type of things we would normally, all, all the things we would normally tell people what to do for a web application, Nick, are the same things. You got to do the same things if you're using GraphQL or whatever your backend yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to also jump in and, and, and add is that um, a lot of security teams and security professionals may, um, 
you know, blindly trust that the monitors and the observability uh, controls that they've put in place are going to uh, protect their GraphQL uh, workloads uh, when that's really not the case. Um, so for instance, if you've got a, uh, a particular monitor that's reviewing logs and it says, you know, if someone's trying to log in, we get, you know, X number of 403 uh, uh, error response codes, let's go ahead and like uh, ban or rate limit that particular client's uh, IP address. That, that logic doesn't really translate very easily over to, to GraphQL. In fact, like if you have a lot of like status code based uh, monitors that like wake up your security team to like really check something out because you're being attacked, that doesn't that does not work because when you look at a lot of GraphQL implementations, they're all you know being sent with a post request and they all pretty much respond back with a 200 error or 200 uh, uh, status code, uh, re regardless of if there's an error in the payload or not. So a lot of these like monitors that we've built traditionally in our security uh, centers uh, on the ops side will will need to be reevaluated and rebuilt for 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 GraphQL. Um, uh, so another key piece is like build your observability and build better logging around like the types of uh, GraphQL operations that are happening to your production instance, and from there uh, start to build uh, additional monitors to detect when attacks are happening and and, and try to also prevent them. Mm -hmm. Nick, so tell us tell us about the book and tell us why why'd you write why'd you guys decide to write this book now? Yeah, uh, so uh, you know, Walt Simple is uh, is definitely a company that that's adopted GraphQL, and um, you know, it was one of the uh, you know main uh, hot topics that solved a lot of the performance uh, issues that we've been seeing with scaling up a lot of our microservices and solving that underfetching overfetching problem that I, that I that I shared. And uh, as we were adopting it, our, our developers were, were really gung-ho about, about uh, implementing it. Uh, Dolph and I really like to take that offensive approach to securing um, uh, our infrastructure and our applications. And we saw that there was a, a really big lack of, of, of knowledge and resources uh, with GraphQL security, and especially on the offensive side of like how to test it and ensure that it's hardened. Um, uh, that's sort of an approach that we really like. You know, if we can hack it, you know, we kind of feel like we've got uh, some assurances in place that, that the defenses are, are working. And uh, when we noticed that there was really nothing out there, uh, we, we said, okay, well, this is an area that we're going to have to start to research a little bit. So uh, we spent some time digging deep into the spec, building tools, really testing our own uh, implementation. And we said, you know, why not just like grab all of our research and all of our data and knowledge from from hacking GraphQL and put it into, into a book. And uh, our goal and intention was to allow us to essentially like uh, give back to the community with a, a tool and a resource that, that we didn't really have when we were first trying to defend and, and attack GraphQL. Um, the book is intended to turn someone who, who you know, may know a bit about computer science and a bit about uh, REST APIs, but knows nothing about GraphQL and can really ramp up quickly with, you know, understanding the language, building an internal security, uh, uh, GraphQL security hacking lab, as well as get a, a plethora of tools that, uh, that we recommend in the book that, that, that we've written um, and that we also highly recommend uh, to attack your GraphQL uh, uh, APIs. And so you'll you'll learn things like how to do uh, you know proper reconnaissance, you know, detect if if a particular company is running GraphQL, uh, what endpoints they might be behind, uh, collect information about what type of implementation or what type of flavor of GraphQL uh, it's running as well. That will allow you to curate and and uh, conduct specialized, very tactical attacks against it. 
Um, it'll also allow you to then take that reconnaissance information and start to, uh, you know, play around with that GraphQL instance. So try to send some injection attacks, try to, you know, bring the server down, um, you know, uh, so the, the book is intended for uh, someone to go through the entire pen testing lifecycle uh, for, for GraphQL uh, um, asset that's being tested and uh, really turn uh, folks from, uh, from zero to, to hero in the GraphQL hacking space. Very cool. Very cool. I'm looking forward to uh, diving into it and uh, taking you know my knowledge to another level. Um, I think uh, I feel like I've learned quite a bit about GraphQL just in this conversation as well. So um, to kind of wrap up our, our conversation and land the plane here, I want to go to each of you and ask for a call to action slash key takeaway. But I'm going to steal the most easy one just to put you guys on the spot. And so my call to action key takeaway is for our listeners to grab a copy of this book and dive a lot deeper into GraphQL. So, Dolev, coming to you, kind of what's your what's your one call to action or key takeaway then for, for our listeners other than buying a copy of the book? If you uh, work at a company and they're thinking about adopting GraphQL, because that's a very typical pattern where you have like a hot technology and suddenly a lot of people want to try it out and adopt it. Uh, really think deeply about how to protect it and whether you'll have the tools necessary to protect against that. You want to have feature parity or like the, the, the support for the same type of things that you would have for your REST APIs to your GraphQL APIs. And there's some some lift in there as well. Uh, so once you understand GraphQL, you learn, you don't have to necessarily buy the book. We have a lot of open source tools and resources that we've built, but we highly recommend it. Make sure that you have the necessary tools from rate limiting perspective, from like a log analysis perspective, uh, from a learning perspective that can help you get your GraphQL APIs to the level of your REST APIs. Very cool. Nick, I think uh, Dola took all the key takeaways and call to actions, uh, but maybe maybe you got I've something got, else. I've got I've got a pretty like good good high level one for for, for the community and for, for developers and companies. Uh, and it's essentially, um, you know, just because everyone else is is, is adopting a technology, is, is is implementing it in their in their production environments, um, these might be companies that, that you look up to. Um, doesn't mean you should just blindly grab the technology and start adopting it and pushing it into your production instances. Um, really, you know, continue to evaluate the third-party applications and libraries and tools that you're implementing into the services and products that you have to offer your customers and test them robustly, as robustly as you can, and really question uh, uh, adopting a, a new technology and spec, especially if there's not a lot of information and, and background in the security um, uh, considerations uh, for that technology. So that would be like my, my high-level one is, you know, I love. I know that everyone really likes to adopt and move, you know, at the speed of, of technology. But sometimes we do do need to you know, press on the brakes and really get a good understanding of, of of what the risks are when we are adopting new tech. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice from both of you. So, Nick Dolev, thank you for sharing your GraphQL knowledge and all the a lot of the things that you learned on your journey to securing GraphQL. And uh, I look forward to. Uh, taking a look at the book and, and diving even deeper into this topic. So once again, thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Thank you, thank you for having us. us. Thank you for listening to Security Journeys AppSec Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at AppSec Podcast, on LinkedIn as the Application Security Podcast, 
or on the web at www.securityjourney.com slash resources slash AppSec podcast. Find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRow and Robert at Robert Hurlbutt. Remember, there are many application security paths, but only one destination.